It's good to see you this evening. We're thankful for your presence with us. We're mindful of those who are joining us online, and we're thankful for your presence and your joining with us as well. If you want to be inspired, I mean really inspired, spend some time studying the widows of the Bible. Ruth was a widow. The book of Ruth records her actions, her deeds, the kind of lady, the kind of godly example that she set for so many other women of faith throughout the years. The widow of Zarephath that's mentioned in 1 Kings chapter 17, beginning in verse 8, when Elijah was looking for a place where he could find some provision, he went to this widow and she was about to make her last cake for her and her son so that they could eat that and die. And Elijah said, no, no, don't do that. If you'll just provide some food for me, God will make sure that you're provided for as well. And in faith, the widow of Zarephath made a meal for Elijah. And after that, the Bible says that her oil and her flour never ceased. Inspiration. Jesus told a parable about a widow who was importunate. That is, she continually petitioned someone for justice, a judge who who would not give her justice. And Jesus said, you need to pray the way that that widow looked for justice. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 9. You want to learn something about faith and about what it means to respond to God in faith. Study the widows of the Bible. If you haven't already done so, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12 is where our lesson will come from this evening, verses 41 through 44 especially. Mark 12, verses 41 through 44. And again, let's read this passage and listen to what's happening. It's just what we might call a Passover incident in the Bible. A lot of times we'll read this and we'll just pass right over and not think very much about what's happening. But notice that Jesus and his apostles were in the temple. And in, excuse me, in Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 41, it says that Jesus sat opposite the treasury. In the temple, there was a box or a place where people could come and bring their gifts and their offerings. It was called the treasury. And Jesus was sitting in a place on the other side of maybe the room or the other side of the courtyard from where this treasury was located. And so if you can imagine in your mind's eye, Jesus and his apostles seated there and Jesus was just watching, just people watching. He was watching people as they came into the temple and offered their offerings, their gifts to God. And notice as it goes on, the Bible says, he saw how the people put money into the treasury. He didn't just see that the people put money. He saw how they were putting money into the treasury. And it goes on to say, those who were rich put in much. But then one poor widow came along. And she threw in, my translation says, two mites. Steve's translation that he read from a moment ago said, two copper coins. Two copper coins that make a penny. That, that translates for us, doesn't it? That helps us to understand this lady was giving very, very little. And then the Bible says that Jesus called his disciples to himself. There was something he wanted to say to them. I've got a message for you, disciples. This lady, he says, has given in, given more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. 
there are a lot of people I want to talk to when we get to heaven. I want to talk to this lady because I got some questions for her. I want to know what motivated her to give the very last of what she had to God. I want to know if maybe she made a vow to herself and to God at some point in her past where she said, I'm never going to give less than X. Or I wonder if maybe she heard a lesson much like the lessons that we hear about how God is great and God is magnificent and we ought to always honor him with our possessions, with the first fruits of our increase. And maybe she was stirred in her faith to offer all that she had. I want to know what led her to a circumstance in her life where all she had was a penny, two small coins. How did she get there? You want to talk about rock bottom and having nothing. That's where this widow was. I want to talk to her about the kind of faith that she exhibited on this occasion. Because it's inspiring, is it not? It helps us to think about where the heart of God is and where our hearts ought to be. Because Jesus honored this lady. We ought to stop and think about the lessons we can learn from this widow and her offering. It's been said that giving is to the soul what the sun is to plants. If you have a plant and you really want it to grow, you can fertilize it and you can cultivate it and you can water it adequately, but it won't do anything. It'll shrivel up and die if it doesn't get sunlight. And the same principle is true of our souls. There may be a lot that we invest in. There may be a lot of good things that we are involved in. But giving is like sunlight to the soul. And I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that nothing says where our hearts and our faith truly lie like the way we give. I'm not just talking about what we put in the plate on Sunday morning. I'm talking about giving as a lifestyle. I'm talking about generosity to others. I'm not just talking about our finances either. While this lesson particularly has to do with what the widow offered and what she offered was a financial gift, what about giving of our time and our energy and investing in people and caring for people and being kind to people to the glory of God. Giving is to the soul what sunshine is to a plant. Our souls cannot thrive without a giving heart. Notice two areas that we can consider as we look at this brief text this evening. As you look at Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44, let's notice first of all the widow's deed. In just a little bit more detail, let's think about what it is that this lady did. In the first place, I want you to notice, as we consider her deed, she gave less than anybody else. If you could put a scoreboard up in the temple, and if you could have it ranked, one, two, three, four, five, and so on and so forth, this widow's gift in terms of monetary value would have ranked at the very bottom. 
She gave less than anybody else. Everybody else who came to the temple that day had more money than she did. But Jesus chose to single her out, and Jesus chose to point her gift out. Why? Because Jesus wasn't looking just at the monetary value of her gift. He was looking at the intrinsic value of her heart. He wasn't just weighing her contribution quantitatively. He was looking at it qualitatively. And doesn't that really bring encouragement to our hearts? Because so often I've found myself in the place of saying, you know, the church has a budget. There are so many needs to meet out there in the world. There are so many opportunities to do good. And what good is it? My meager gift, my meager offering. She gave less than any. We serve a God, brothers and sisters, who sees and knows what we give. And he does not overlook even the smallest of gifts that are given by faith. In Mark chapter 9, verse 41, Jesus said that even one who gives a cup of water to you in my name because you belong to me, he will by no means lose his reward. God even counts the cups of water. Over in John chapter 6 and verse 9, there was a small boy when Jesus wanted to feed the multitudes. He had five barley loaves and two fish, and Andrew the disciple brought this small boy with his barley loaves and his two fish. He brought them to Jesus, and even Andrew said, here's one boy who brought his lunch, Jesus, but what is this among so many people? And sometimes we ask the question, what is my gift among so many people, among such a need that the world has? Our God specializes in taking small things like two copper coins, like a lunch of loaves and fishes, like a glass of water. He can take those small things given in faith and he can magnify them and use them in his glory. We need to live and give by faith. Secondly, notice this. She was less able to give than anybody else. I'm telling you, I want to talk to this lady. I want to visit with her. I want to know where she came from. I want to hear her story because it's got to be fascinating, doesn't it? It's got to be intriguing. All we know of her, we don't even know her name. All we know of her is that she went to the temple one day and she gave everything that she had and she was not able to do that. She was less able than anybody else. Everybody else looked at their bank account that day and they said, What percentage should we give? Not this lady. She had two coins. Do I give one or do I give both? That was her only question. She was less able to give. And I'll tell you something, brothers and sisters. I've been to other countries and I've been around people in this country and I have been convinced of this. The very best givers in the Lord's church are very often those who are really not all that able to give. People who love the Lord and who give sacrificially even when they can't afford it. You ever gone to a place where people make very little money? And maybe you go to somebody's house and they'll invite you in and they'll sit you down and 
they go and they find a soft drink to open for you. And then they go back and they prepare a meal for you. And you know that what they're providing you is much better than what they would be eating if this were just a normal dinner at their home. And it's humbling, less able, but still desiring to give. This lady, she must have prayed earnestly the prayer that we read in Matthew 6, verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. She trusted every day that God was going to provide, that God was going to bless her, that God was going to give, and she recognized that God himself is a great giver. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning, the Bible says. We are near to the heart of God when we give. Think about this widow in a third way. She gave her all. Notice what Jesus says in the passage. Everybody else gave out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. It's not as if she was working and the boss gave her a bonus. It's not as if she had a surplus and she was giving out of that. She gave everything she had, all of it. And this is the single principle that blows my mind more than anything else in this account. Look at what Jesus did not do. Jesus did not say she shouldn't have done that. He didn't tell his disciples she gave too much. That was unwise. That was a foolish decision for her. I mean, what's she going to eat for dinner tonight? She's got nothing left. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus didn't send a disciple to chase the lady down and say, you know, Jesus had a treasury box, a money box. Judas used to keep it, John chapter 12, remember? He had money for the poor. He didn't send one of his disciples to chase her down and say, here, we want you to have something to eat this evening. We saw what you did. He didn't do any of those things. He didn't rebuke her for, for giving more than she should have. And I'll tell you why he didn't. Because he would have removed from her the privilege and the honor of giving. He would have taken that privilege away from her. She wanted to give this gift as a symbol as evidence of where her heart was. She loved God, she loved the temple of God, and she wanted God to have everything, literally, that she owned. And for Jesus to say, no, that's too much, that would have, that would have turned this in to a very degrading situation. He honored what she did. And one of the things this passage teaches us, brothers and sisters and friends, is that our giving is not merely about obedience. Yes, we ought to give because God has commanded us to do so. 1 Corinthians 16 verses 1 and 2. But that's not merely what giving is. It's also not merely just a, a, a motivated by gratitude. I'm so thankful to God for what he's blessed me with and I'm going to give back because I'm thankful. It's not just that. 
And it's not just about making sure that the Lord's work and the work of the church, that, that those things can be carried out. It's not just about that. As much as we love the church and as much as we love the work of the church, that's not the fundamental motivation of giving in this passage. Giving, brothers and sisters and friends, is about honor. It's about honoring God. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 9 tells us, honor the Lord with your possessions, with the first fruits of all your increase. Sow your barns and your vats will be filled with plenty to overflowing. That's what the Proverbs writer said. And then you turn over to passages in the New Testament that say very similar things. Drew alluded to one of these in his prayer a moment ago as he prayed about the offering. In 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7, let everyone give as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly, not of necessity, but cheerfully, for God loves a cheerful giver, willingly. It's about honoring. You see, when we give, it says something about what we think of God. It says something about our character and about what we really deem to be important. It says something about our love for the things of God. She gave her all. What an inspiring example. Second, as you look at this passage, notice the Lord's response. Think about what Jesus does. The Bible tells us in Mark 12, verses 41 through 44, that he watched men give. He was sitting in the room. He was sitting in the courtyard, wherever this treasury box was, and he was observing. And he still observes today. He still watches. He saw what the rich gave. He saw what the poor gave. He saw how they gave. There are some people that give because they want to be seen of men. He said in another sermon, Matthew chapter 6, verse 2, they want people to hear how the weight of the change hits the treasury box. And they want people to stand back in awe about how spiritual they are. He sees, he watches, he knows. And he's watching how you and I give. I'm not just talking about what we do when we worship. There are things that God has put into our hands and they are a stewardship. God expects us to use the blessings that he has entrusted to us for a purpose. He expects us to use those things for his kingdom and glory. Seek first the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Matthew 6 verse 33. He watches how we give. Second, as you think about the Lord's response, he evaluated the gifts. Because just going through the motions and putting the money in the treasury was not enough for it to be pleasing to God. It had to be motivated by the right kind of heart, by an obedient faith. Back in Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, two brothers gave to the Lord, Cain and Abel, and they both brought a sacrifice. They both brought a gift. They both brought an offering, remember? And one of those offerings pleased the Lord, and the other of those offerings did not. Just because we offer something to the Lord does not mean that he's pleased. In Amos chapter 5, verses 21 through 22, Amos condemned the worship of the people of Israel. He said, 
speaking for God, I hate and I despise your feast days. You come to me and you bring burnt offerings and grain offerings and peace offerings. I wish you wouldn't bring them to me at all, God says. I despise these things because they're not offered from a heart of faith, a heart that really genuinely loves me. Jesus evaluated the gifts that were being given and he evaluates your gift and mine as well. It's either pleasing to the Lord or it's not. There is no door number three. There is no middle ground. Notice the Lord's response, number three. He responded to the gifts. Our giving either pleases God or it does not. And what Jesus does is he memorializes this woman. She was going to live her life and pass from this earth and nobody would remember her name and nobody would remember much about her and that was going to be the end of it. But one day she came to the temple and she put two coins in the treasury and Jesus said, her reward, at least in one sense, is I want people 2,000 years from now to still be talking about what she did and here we are tonight. Secondly, Jesus held her up as an example of what giving ought to look like. He called his disciples to him. You see that in the passage? He said, everybody come here. I want to talk to you about what that one lady did. Because that is faith and that is devotion. And that is a soul that's not going to shrivel up and die. Because giving is to the soul what sunlight is to the plant. Jesus responded to her gift, and she sh he shows us by doing that what it means to offer something to God that is a fragrant aroma, sweet-smelling in his nostrils, 2 Corinthians 2, verses 15 and 16, the kind of gift that pleases God. As Christians, we need to look at the Lord's estimation of things because sometimes when it comes to the way we give, whether we're talking about the collection of the saints, whether we're talking about the way that we interact with people, whether we're talking about helping those who are oppressed, the way we give says a great deal about the God we serve. I mean, the God we really serve. The way we give says a lot about where our hearts really lie. I'm thankful that Jesus included this account in the book of Mark. I'm thankful that this widow's deed can be recounted and remembered. Because I'll tell you what, I've never known anybody who gave like she did. Have you? I've never known anybody who did something like what she did. She put her trust and her faith and her confidence in the hands of an almighty and an all-loving God. And don't you know... Don't you know that the God who wrote Psalm 37, verse 25, cared for her? Psalm 37, 25, I have been young and now an old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging bread. God must have cared for her because he promised to do so in so many places in his word. But what faith, what an example. As we think about our relationship with God, 
Maybe you need to come to him in loving devotion and you need to put on Christ in baptism. Maybe that's something that you've been thinking about doing and you just know this is a decision I need to make because I want to give God everything. I want him to have all my heart. I want him to have all my life. I want him to be my Lord and my master. Come to Jesus Christ, believing on him, confessing his name, repenting of your sin, being baptized for the remission of sin. There's no better time and no better place than the present to put on Christ. If we can help you do that, if we can pray with you, heaven's invitation is yours while together we stand and while we sing. Ah! Uh-huh.